arsenic, potassium cyanide, ricin, butracutoxin, and botulinum toxin. Five of the top ten most lethal poisons known to man. An amount is as little as two grains of salt of a couple of them will kill a human being. But what if I were to tell you that there is something more deadly? What if I were to tell you that there is something far more deadly than these five or the other five from the top ten? If you've been with us throughout our study of Galatians, you probably already know what that is. Paul's been talking about it since chapter one. What's far more dangerous than any of those things is believing that anything can be or must be added to the work of Christ for the salvation of sinners. It just takes one person believing just one thing must be added to the work of Christ to make Christ's work insufficient and for it to be deadly for that person and also others around them. One person is all it takes to wreak havoc within the local church. And that's why Paul's writing this letter That's why he's been so intense. That's why he's been so angry. That's why he's been so passionate. His emotions have been very strong. And it's why he said that anyone, anyone including himself or an angel who taught a different gospel were to be treated as as anathema. They were to be accursed. They were to be detested. They were to be reviled. It's because he felt strongly and knew so strongly that it was only Christ. It was Christ's saving work through his life, death, and resurrection. That that apart from that or adding anything to that was an actual death sentence on the part of those who believed it. There is only one hope for us. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the only one who could ever do and did ever do what we could never do for ourselves. And to this point, if you've read Galatians before, if you've been a part of this study, you know that to this point, this is all the first four chapters have been what we call polemical. Basically, he is, Paul has been aggressively arguing against the Judaizers and their false gospel. He's been arguing against their uh, Christ plus law gospel or faith plus works gospel that, again, he said was really no gospel at all. And as is his letter writing pattern, he's taken more than the first half to lay down a doctrinal argument. And now this last less than half is going to he is going to speak of duty and he's going to speak of really life application. What does all this mean? doctrine look like in the life of a believer he's going to be much more practical 
And so Aaron and I were talking and what we're going to do is we're going to have a mini series inside this larger series. And the next, much like we did with law and gospel through chapter three and four. And we're going to look at uh, the next three weeks. We're going to look at the life of a Christian. And this week, we're going to look at the life of freedom or as our mission statement um, suggests and says, and as our literature or the things that we uh, give out at um, Farmer's Market and uh, and other things that we'll look at this as what it looks like to live freely. So if you would, uh, we're going to look at the first 15 verses tonight. I want to read, uh, Matt did a great job of reading the first 15. I want to read verse 1 and verses 13 through 15. So if you would, let's stand in the honor of God's word and the reading of it. Hear now the word of the Lord. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that we pray that you would bend our wills to yours. We do pray that we would be different as we leave, having heard from you. We would ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth that is present. Would you remove anything within me as your servant that would be a distraction to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his work on our behalf. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So a note-taking guide, as always, is provided for you in the back of the bulletin. And you'll see our outline tonight. We're going to look at what we've been freed for in verse 1. What we've been freed from in verses 2 or 1 to 12. And then what we are freed uh, f- uh, to in verses 13 to 15. So freed for, freed from, and freed to. And in the process, we're going to be given instructions regarding what we are to do in light of or in regards to legalism and license. Um, some people speak of them as opposites. And I even use the word with the children, but they're not really opposites. Uh, two sides of the same coin, that coin being uh, one of self-righteousness and um, a downgrade of sin and uh, a low view of the law. Uh, but let's, So let's look at these together. Let's begin with what we've been freed for in verse 1. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. More accurately, it would be for freedom Christ freed us. Uh, he's pretty straightforward. He doesn't beat around the bush there. Freedom wasn't a means to an end, it was his goal, or it was the goal that he speaks of. Paul's been saying this over and over and over again, that spiritually speaking, prior to Christ, the Galatians and we were slaves. We were slaves, uh, spiritually speaking, we were in bondage, we were under constraint, we were being oppressed, and our lives were not our own. And Christ changed all of that, Uh, he purchased us. He released us from our spiritual slavery through his suffering, through his humiliation. Again, through his shedding of his imperishable blood in the words of Peter. 
through his death on the cross, our chains were broken and we were set free. We were no longer under constraint and that freedom was secure. It was done. It was full. It was final. It was complete. And we had been locked up. We were in solitary confinement. We were in the dark, alone. But now we are walking freely among one another, basking in the light of the sun. So we've been set free for freedom. But what have we been saved from? What, have, what were the Galatians set free from? What were we set free from? Well, in chapter 20 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says that we were or have been freed from the guilt of sin, the con- condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, from the, this present evil world, from the bondage to Satan, dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, everlasting damnation, and from the yoke of the ceremonial law. Amen to that. It goes on to say in the second paragraph that God alone is the Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to His word or beside it in manners of faith or worship. But Paul here brings that in a little bit. He's not necessarily talking about all of those things, particularly the first paragraph in this first statement. He's actually he's referring to that which he's been talking about earlier in the letter, which are really three of those things that I read in that first paragraph. He's saying that we have been the Galatians have been and we have been set free from the slavery to the curse of the law. We have been set free from the ceremonial law. And we have been set free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are contrary to his word. In other words, if we were to paraphrase that or to put that all together, we could say that we have been set free from the need to perform, earn, or merit our justification, our sanctification, and our future glorification. We would say that we have been set free from any type of merit-based system of salvation... We have been set free from um, maintaining our righteousness through some uh, works-based or faith-plus-grace salvation. We have been set free from the necessity to keep the ceremonies and the rituals and the rites of the ceremonial law. We've been set free From the necessity to perform particular types and certain amounts of good works. We have been set free from adhering to particular traditions of men that others try to add to the law. We've even been set free from the opinions of others as they struggle with our rest in our freedom. Even that is thorough. We've been set free from the musts and the shoulds that others impose on us and that we at times impose upon ourselves. And we could settle all that in one word. So we have been, we have been set free from legalism. Period. And Paul says here in verse 1 that this freedom is worth fighting for. He says, stand firm. 
In other words, keep alert, be strong, resist the attack that you are undergoing. And he says that with force. There's force behind this language. He wants to... He wants them to do everything they can to not entangle themselves in what the Judaizers have been putting before them. And notice he uses the same submit again language that he used in chapter 4. If you remember in chapter 4, he said that he was worried that the Galatians were going to submit themselves again to idolatry and how he equated idolatry with following and, and trying to fulfill the law for their salvation because both of them put themselves in a position where they were relying upon themselves to change their status and make them right before God. And then beginning in verse 2, he warns them about why this standing firm is so vitally important. And he could not be any clearer than he is right here. And the argument is twofold. One of the arguments, or his first argument, is one that we've already heard in Galatians chapter 3. And the second one is new. First, he says, if they're to accept circumcision or one specific part of the law in an effort to maintain their salvation, or to maintain their, to break it down, their justification and their sanctification and their glorification... That they would put themselves in the position where they would have to keep all of the law, not just that one part. They were, by, by fulfilling one part and believing that that was in some way going to merit their salvation, they were obligating themselves to keep the entire law. Because if the law was a means for salvation, the law must be kept perfectly and completely, not just in part. But secondly, he says something in the language is even stronger. He says, if the Galatians were to rely upon their own efforts in keeping the law, Christ and his work would not be of any benefit to them at all. Actually, he says that they would cut themselves off from the Lord Jesus. As I heard one pastor paraphrased that this week he said Christ is either Paul is telling the Galatians Christ and us Christ is either everything or he's nothing there is no in between and if they seek to be justified by their own effort and their own work in their own behavior in any way no matter how small they would be turning their back upon grace because grace and merit do not mix at all. So he says there's two options. One, they can either trust in themselves to secure something that they don't have yet. Or two, they can trust in the Spirit by faith who has been poured out upon them, indwelt them, sealed them, and is a guarantee of their current justification and their sanctification and their glorification. And because of that, they can rest assured, they can anticipate with assurance that they will experience fully and completely in that day when the Lord returns, they will experience all that God has promised in Christ that which is 
already theirs because of their union with him. Because in the end, he says, circumcision is not going to add any points to their score. A lack of circumcision is not going to subtract any points from their score. Because the truth of the matter is, the Lord Jesus has won and secured their justification. There are no more points to be earned or lost. Their justification is secured and it was received through faith. That is working and active, the fruit of which is faith. Which we'll get to in just a minute. And then I want you to notice in verses 7 to 12, he says some things that are worth noting. He says, I know, and he's telling the Galatians, I know you understand this because you were doing so well until the Judaizers showed up. And what they're telling you isn't from God. He said that before. He's saying it again. And he says there, there may not be many of them, but it doesn't matter. As we said earlier, it just takes one. It just takes one and it just takes one addition And it becomes toxic. But notice what he then says. He says, but I'm confident. But he doesn't say, I'm confident in you. You can do this. He says, no, I'm confident in the Lord. He says, I'm confident that the Lord will sustain you. I'm confident that the Lord will protect you. I'm confident that the Lord will preserve you and deal with those who are causing these problems. He says, basically, he says, you're going to choose what's right. And then he looks at him and he says, and, and I know they've been trying, they're still trying to harass me and persecute me because I had Timothy baptized. And they're trying to say I'm on their side. He said, but, but if I was really on their side, I would be removing the offense of the cross. But I haven't removed the offense of the cross. And how do you know that? It's because they're still harassing me because the, the offense of the cross is that it's neutralizing them. It's saying that what they're trying to do is irrelevant and they don't like it. And then we get this last emotional I mean, he's, he's been, again, he's, he's, he's working himself up and he gets to verse 12 and, and he just loses control and, and he looks at him and he says, listen, if it's about circumcision, I wish those Judaizers would just go all the way. I mean, if they think they're going to be spiritual through circumcision, they just need to carry it out to the end. Then they'll be super spiritual. And of course, nothing for us has changed. That's why even through this letter, we go back and forth with Paul saying to them, Paul is saying to us, right? This has been written to the Galatians, but it's been written to us. And so the same is true for us. The truth that Paul expressed to the Galatians is transcendent. It's for, for all believers, for all times and all places. So let's be honest and say that there may be some in this room tonight who, who are being tempted to place themselves back into the slavery Back into slavery and the need to perform and in the need to earn and the need, and the need to merit their justification and their sanctification and their glorification by keeping the law. Maybe someone tonight, you find yourself in slavery to some merit-based system that you grew up in and you can't shake yourself from. 
You're constantly striving to maintain your righteousness and therefore you're a part of this works-based, merit-based system. And you, day after day you fall back into it and, and you can't shake it. Some of you may have fallen into the past of your rites and your rituals and your ceremonies. I mean, let's think, let's think about it. Some of us fall back in and, and somehow we're trusting in our church attendance. We're trusting in our consistency to read the Bible every day. We're trusting in how consistent our prayer life is. Some of us are trusting in the fact that our justification comes from the fact that we come to the Lord's table. No. Some of you are trusting in the fact that you had your child baptized. And some of you are worried that you haven't. And so and, and is your justification on the line? The answer is no, but I'm ahead of myself. Some may be relying on good works and, and the need and the ability to provide for those that are standing on the side of the highway at, at the exits around northwest Arkansas. Or you're trusting... Uh, you're trusting in your making of a meal for someone who's sick or you're trusting in filling a backpack as you come in and, and the guilt overwhelms you and you, you think to yourself, if I just come next week with my stuff, then, then I'll be okay. Some may be in bondage to following or not following certain Man-made rules and traditions like what to eat and drink and participate in and wear and watch and listen to and how to educate your children. Some may be under the power of the opinions of others and what they think of you. Because you're resting in freedom. And in each of those cases, you're, you're struggling under the weight of the musts. And the shoulds that others are placing upon you. That you're placing upon yourself. And brothers and sisters it's toxic. It's legalism and it's toxic. It's deadly for you. It's deadly for those around you. And let's be perfectly honest. Who in here doesn't struggle with it? We all fluctuate in and out of those things. We'll walk out of here. And begin to struggle. So what's the answer? What is the answer? What, what are the options? Well, the options are the same for us as they were for the Galatians. The options are the same. We can continue. We can leave here and we can continue to trust in ourselves to try to earn or gain something that we don't believe we already possess. Or, or we can trust in the Spirit by faith who has been poured out on us, who has indwelt us, who has sealed us, who is the guarantee of a down payment of an inheritance that the Lord himself is holding for us. And we can rest assured and we can anticipate with assurance that we will experience fully and completely all of the promises that are already ours in Christ. Because in the end, the fulfillment of our rituals, the fulfillment of our ceremonies, our good works, our adhering to the preferences of others, aren't going to add any points to our score, subtract from our score, because Christ has done it all. Period. Our justification has been won and secured by Christ. We've received it by faith. A faith that is working, a faith that is active, the fruit of which is faith, is love. 
And brothers, anything contrary to that, anything contrary to that, a grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone gospel isn't from God in Paul's words. It's toxic and deadly. And can I use Paul's words to say to you and to me tonight that I am confident, not in you, not in me, but in the Lord. Confident in the Lord, that the Lord will protect you, that the Lord will sustain you, that that the Lord will keep you and preserve you. I am confident that you will choose the second option. And let me say to all of us as well to stand firm, fight against and don't give in to any form of legalism, period. Don't hesitate to name it. Don't hesitate to identify it. Don't hesitate to shut it down. Because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And you and I must live in that freedom. Living freely is a must that we should keep. So what have we been freed to? What have we been freed to? We know what we're freed for and from. What are we freed to? And some may be thinking, well, you didn't leave a whole lot of time to address license. And my response is, you're right. We deal with license. We all deal with license. But I'll just tell you, I believe that in our area, the problem's legalism. But we do have to deal with license. Paul dealt with it. We need to deal with it. So let's deal with it. Right? In verse 13, Paul once again leads with the indicative and follows it with the imperative. He declares who they are and then he provides the command and he reiterates this call to freedom. He says it again. And it's in the past tense. It's sure. And he wants them to know that it should be, this freedom should be guarded and treasured, held on to. And he also wants them to know that it shouldn't be abused. He doesn't want it to be abused. So he says, don't let your freedom be a disguise for your rebellion. He says, don't let your freedom be an excuse to do what you want to do. Because the truth of the matter is you've been set free You and I, he's writing to the Galatians, but you and I have been set free and given the desire and the ability to do the right thing, not our own thing, and to do it without being told. At least by one another. Your freedom, my freedom has not been granted. Paul says the Galatians' freedom has not been granted so that they can serve themselves. It's been purchased for them, for us, so that they and we are not only willing, but able to love and serve other people. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, when we go back, right? Because he says the law cannot be kept perfectly and was never meant to be a means of salvation, but the faith through through which we are saved, not only frees us to love, it works through love, that's verse 6, and therefore, 
actually enables us to fulfill the law. So in other words, as you've heard me say on other occasions, the law in and of itself does not have the power to bring about what it demands. Only the gospel can do that. So the bottom line is, is being free from the curse of the law does not mean we're relieved in any way of our obligation to the law to obey God and to love and serve one another. Being freed from... Being freed from the curse of the law means we are now free to fulfill that obligation. We are now free to love and serve one another. And then he concludes by giving them two more options. He says, you got two options. One, you can use your freedom to do what you want, when you want it, at the expense of everybody else. Regardless of who they are, regardless of what they might feel, you can take advantage of each other. You can do what's in your own self-interest rather than in what's in the self-interest of others or at the expense of others. And you can eat one another alive. Or use your freedom as it was intended. Use your freedom, obey the Lord and love and serve one another. Love and serve one another. So you say, well, what does that look like for us who desire to live freely? It, again, it is a part of our mission statement. It's on our literature, so we probably ought to know what it looks like. So, and there are a number of different applications that we could all talk about, and hopefully we will in our small groups as they kick off. What does living freely look like to each other and in our community? But I want to share two as we wrap up tonight. And the first is this. What I don't want to do is make some impassioned plea for for you, for me uh, to go and you know, we need to obey God or we need to go and love better. Or I want to, I'm not going to give you five things to go and love your spouse better or your neighbor better. We could do that. And on the short term, we might see uh, we might see some type of measurable result. But in the long term, it would only lead to frustration and guilt and eventual retreat and resignation. Because honestly, we don't do it very well. And we're, and we're really not consistent at it. So we don't want to bind ourselves in those things. I believe the only way that we can see a marked and sustainable difference in our obedience and in our love for one another on an individual basis as well as a corporate basis, is for my plea to us all to be in the form of gospel encouragement. And really we don't need to go any farther than what Paul's already said. I mean, it worked for Paul. Surely it'll work for us. If it worked for Paul, it should work for me. Hopefully it worked for the Galatians, it should work for us. So, in his words, brothers and sisters, we were called to freedom... Let's not use our freedom to serve ourselves. Let's love, let's use it to love and serve one another and our neighbor. We've been set free for that. Another way to put that would be we've been thoroughly loved. Thoroughly and completely loved. We've been thoroughly and completely approved by and we've been fully accepted by God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that love and approval and acceptance that has set us free to obey the Lord and to serve and love our neighbor. 
And this is what's so amazing about this is that we don't have to be perfect in that loving, in that obedience and in that loving and serving. It is a desire. We want to do that. We want to please the Lord. We're not bound again by the curse of the law so we can please the Lord in doing those things. But we, we really, in the end, don't have to be perfect in those things. But we can do it. We can do it because having been loved, approved of, and accepted by God, we don't need anything from anybody else. You don't need anything from me. I don't need anything from you. We have everything that we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can go expend ourselves in the lives of other people without expecting anything in return. And that's what love is. Our motivation is no longer what's in it for me. Our motivation is no longer what's in it for Christ's church. The motivation is what's in it for them. My motivation is what's in it for you. Your motivation is what's in it for me. Our motivation is what's in it for them. And you probably noticed if, if we do it that way, in that order, resting in who we are in Christ and living out of that, living a life worthy of that calling, that we will deal with both legalism and license. Secondly, one of the simplest ways that we can love one another is by exercising our freedom wisely. And what I mean by that is this. It may be an oversimplification, but there are black and white Things of scripture that are non-negotiable. And those black and white things for us are for us. And we are to strive to fulfill those things out of our love for God and our gratitude for what he has done for us. And we don't have to back off from that. It's not wrong to say that or expect that. We've been set free that we may go and obey. As his children. As the father desires. But. Second paragraph of chapter 20. Of the confession. God alone is Lord of the conscience. And has left it free. From the doctrines and commandments of man. Which are in anything contrary to his word. Or beside it in matters of faith and worship. So what that means is. In in light of the pattern that Paul shares for us in Romans 14. You and I have an, an Obligation in those non-black and white areas, in those areas of freedom, maybe we'll even call them gray, though we like to shy away from that word. In, in those areas, we have a responsibility, a right and a responsibility to develop convictions and then to stand by and live out of those convictions. We also have the right and the responsibility to allow each other, allow others to also in those areas develop convictions and to hold and to live out of those convictions, even if they're different from our own. But here's where it gets interesting, right? We also have the right and the responsibility that in certain cases, 
we should set aside certain responsibility or certain freedoms in deference to our neighbor out of love for our neighbor or out of love for the weaker brother or sister and let me say this and if we refuse to set aside those certain freedoms in those cases it is we who have become the weaker brother or weaker sister There are occasions to stand firm and fight for all of our freedoms. Paul's already said that. We've already talked about it. He was, he was emphatic about it. Stand your ground. Don't back down. But there are also occasions to set aside certain freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Standing firm in our freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Setting aside certain freedoms when the occasions allow or or call us to for the sake of the gospel. And my prayer for us is that that the Lord would grant us wisdom and courage to do both appropriately as the opportunities present themselves as we strive to live freely. May he grant us those things. And may he now bless the preaching and hearing of his word. Let's pray.